0: Welcome, everyone, to week two of the Football Outsiders Friday show. Uh, It's me, Derek Lassen, my co-host here, Kale Clinton. Kale, how are you doing today? Doing
1: well. Doing well. I'm glad we got a full week of football under our belts so we can finally have just something to go off of, some actual material to look at.
0: And that's what's important. Last week's show was technically our first show, but it was really just uh, we we only got to preview the, the following or the coming week's games because there was no film to watch. But now we have film to watch. Um, but before we do that, let me remind everyone of our sponsor, uh, Underdog Fantasy. Play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo, promo code OUTSIDERS. Even with the NFL best ball season over, Underdog has other friendly, uh, user-friendly game formats to spice up all the games. Try their Battle Royale, a six-round best ball draft. Uh, with simpler chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites, or try their pick'em games, where you can wager on players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently is unavailable. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com, or download the Underdog app uh, from your app store today, and remember to use promo code OUTSIDERS to double your first deposit up to $100. Now, with that out of the way, and before we get to the actual film, I very briefly... Need to talk about joe lombardi who probably needs to be put in jail for what he's doing to justin herbert last night's game was such a shining example of the problem with this offense where they have i think at minimum a top three quarterback i think no matter how you dice it like justin herbert is a top three quarterback physically he's incredible he can make every throw he plays insanely on time and his a dot was like 4.9 yards per for attempt last year or last uh, last night and that's been a problem for this offense consistently. It was a problem last year, and it's been a problem early throughout the season, where they have this incredible quarterback who can push the ball into any window, and they have contested catch guys like Mike Williams down the field, and they just throw three yards down the field every play. I, I don't get it, Kale. Is this? Do you feel my frustration here? Do Do you share this frustration with me? Oh, absolutely. I, it's you know, you're
1: you're putting a saddle on a unicorn here, and you're trying to you know. <laughs> Like, it's – I don't know. It's so disheartening to see. Uh, I I will give credit to the Chiefs defense last night. Spagnuolo made a fantastic adjustment, getting away from, like, the cover zero, cover one stuff and basically just hugging the sidelines because you know that Joe Lombardi is just only calling stick. He's only calling these, like, short, intermediate, outside looks. It's – I don't know. Even with Keenan Allen out last night, Mike Williams, his his only role until last year's team, like, while Anthony Lynn was head coach, Mike Williams' only role was vertical routes. Like, it was, he was only a field stretcher. He was only for deep shots. If that's your now prime tool without Keenan out, how are you not utilizing it to the maximum effect? Like, you saw it on the Williams touchdown, like, you know, the one-handed grab he had. You saw him on a lot of different plays. Like, it's there. And you look at some of the balls that Herbert's throwing, like – I don't know. How how you're not just uncorking it at all times with Herbert in your arsenal makes no
0: sense to me. Herbert can pin it on anyone 40 yards down the field, probably better than any quarterback in the league right now. So it's just, it's, it's bizarre that they don't try it. especially with, like you mentioned, not only is that what Mike Williams is generally good at, he was like particularly good at it last night and they just, didn't go to it enough. I I don't know. Incredibly frustrating performance. Um, Herbert still played exceptionally well. They still had a decent day on offense, but they're just a unit that constantly feels like Herbert is making the coordinator look a lot better than he, than he probably is. Anyway, enough, enough of last night's game. Let's, let's get into some of the film for the first time uh, on this show. So one of the games we picked out was Cincinnati versus Pittsburgh. Obviously that was a contested one Um, went down to the wire somehow the the Steelers end up winning that game but Kyle I think the biggest story was how badly Cincinnati's offense struggled for most of the game like really un, until the fourth quarter they kind of started to to show who they were last year which I think you know that's kind of what people expected um what do you think was was kind of some of their biggest issues and and maybe some some plays that you thought really kind of highlighted what was going wrong for them so
1: Pitts Cincinnati ended up being our any given Sunday game of the week in terms of just like the biggest upset we saw. And going through this tape, honestly, the biggest thing for me, the first thing that comes to mind is the old Mike Tyson quote, you know, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Literally the first play, Cam Hayward lights
0: up Joe Burrow. You know. This is what this happens when you put out. like a day three rookie against Cam Hayward. By the way, <laughs> I, it's it,
1: listen, offensive line gets better with time. You know, the more reps they have together, the more cohesion they'll get. I don't think that the you know you know big overhaul this off season was a fluke after one game. Plus, you know this Steelers front front seven's awesome, but mm-hmm. you know I think just what Pittsburgh threw at him really screwed up just burrows processing burrows vision a lot of you know any plan that cincinnati had going into the game kind of goes out the window when you're immediately under pressure not quite donald seeing ghosts but it's up there so immediately after the hayward sack you look at the second play this is the minka pick six now it doesn't look you know Pittsburgh wasn't really doing anything exotic in these games. It's a general four-man front, like, doing a lot of 4-2. T.J. Watt nearly gets there. Burrow throws this ball quickly just to get out of pressure and doesn't even look at Minka Fitzpatrick lurking over the top. I think this is going to Boyd, but he reads this perfectly. Just, you know, breaks it off, gets right in front of him, and there's no one there for the house call. Like... I, you watch. You now watch it from the uh, from the end zone cam, and you can really like you feel the pressure. Watts gang, there's a couple bodies in front of him. Like Burrow's just really trying to get that out as quickly as possible. I think just what Pittsburgh threw at Cincinnati with a new offensive line with four new starters out of five. You know, a, a, a big lack of continuity for this group. They threw him a challenge
0: really, really early. And I, I really think the pressure was was everything. And like it was a lot of interior pressure, especially early. And I think like Burrow is always going to be better against outside pressure to me because he can always then slide up, slide wherever the hell he wants in the pocket and get out of it. When you have interior pressure, like that's gonna kind of rattle most quarterbacks more than more than than outside pressure. And I think, like you said, when you get punched in the face on the first play, and then the second play they get pressure on you even with Pittsburgh kind of running something as simple as cover two, like it kind of it kind of rattled Burrow and he left the corner out inside, which it wasn't open to begin with. Like Minka, I think, had that no matter where Burrow put that, but he puts it inside and it's just like free money for Minka. Um, I mean, like I said earlier, like they looked kind of rattled for most of the game and I think pressure was a lot of it, but I do think Burrow himself also kind of had some plays that were not up to his standard. And I don't mean this to, like, hate on Joe Burrow. I think he's going to be better than than this in most weeks. And if we remember, he had some games like this early last year. I mean, the Bears game. Like, Jesus Christ, he threw a couple of really bad interceptions in, this, in that game. And so um, I think we kind of had some of that in this one. I want to pull up a different interception he threw. I want to say this was the third one he threw on the day. Because um, I think the second one was, like, a weird thing at the line to, to – uh, T.J. Watt. But, oh, the one he caught with his full body, basically. Yeah, he caught it with his entire body. He was like, okay, man, this is, I guess, why you win Defensive Player of the Year. He, he doesn't have time to make that extra setup in the pocket unless he wants to just throw a moon ball and let his guy run under it. But that's not what he did. So um, uh, hopefully a, a lesson for, for Joe Burrow there. If you look at this play here, it's the same thing, kind of four-man
1: front. You've got, you know, four-two. You've got the s- safety rolling down a little bit. By the time the ball snapped, there are – it's a five-man rush, and they send the two inside line – or the off-ball linebackers on a delayed blitz. So all of a sudden you've got what looked like a normal front down to a seven-man blitz. Completely overwhelming this team, keeping the pressure on Burrow, foot on the throat, just giving them all they can handle. Ends up getting sacked. Just – I think this offensive line needs to improve – But give some credit to to the Steelers in terms of just how creatively they were able to disguise pressure and kind of, you know, like not only pressure, but just really getting Burrow's head in terms of throwing bodies at him, making him throw the ball quickly, or just, you know, getting to him before anyone else like he even had a chance to throw it.
0: Absolutely. And I think people need to remember, too, like this Steelers front is healthier and better than it was a year ago. They had a ton of uh, defensive line injuries um, for most of last year. They upgraded a little bit at uh, linebacker with Miles Jack, who is a lot more athletic than than who they were playing last year. Um, and then even Alex Highsmith. I mean, he played most of the season, I think, but like he just looked better. So like they just were a better front than I think people realize. You add that on top of like Tomlin kind of being in his bag. This is what happens. (laughs) This is what happens when, you know, the Bengals don't have a good week one plan. Uh, I will say, I I will say quickly,
1: just before we go, mm
0: -hmm. losing TJ Watt hurts there because it
1: opened up a lot for Highsmith. It opened up like any of those assignments, especially on the interior side, you've got to have the extra guard pay attention to Watt on the edge. You have to move a lot. Like you just have to. It's, you got to put two on Watt. And he's just a force multiplier in terms of how many opportunities it opens up for extra guys. We'll see how they, you know, you can't replace Watt, but you know, I, I'd like to see more of Highsmith. I'd like to see more of Hayward because it was. There were a lot of guys that deserve some credit on that defensive front. It wasn't just Watt had an in insane game, but it was kind of a you know pretty
0: collective victory by that front seven. Right, and I think that in some ways makes you feel a little bit better about what they can still do for however long Watt is going to have to be out. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, I want to touch on the Steelers' offense. I thought it was grotesque in every way possible. <laughs> was there anything that you were there any thoughts that you have before I kind of quickly nail them into the into the ground as hard as I can?
1: <laughs> it's it's Mitch Trubisky
0: like it's <laughs>
1: like I I don't know what to tell you. They didn't have a great offensive line. You're throwing you're, you're assuming Najee Harris is basically going to do three yards in a cloud of dust. Like the guy's also coming off a list Frank sprain. Like why are you giving him that many reps? Mm-hmm. I've got, you know, questions with their personnel choice. The only real, you know, positives I'll grant the Steelers offense is uh, they've got an insane receiving core. Like, mm-hmm. like it, it's very evident that, you know, maybe Pickett's the guy. Maybe he gets some time this season. But when they have a quarterback, that'll be awesome. And second note, Pat Fryermuth is nuts. Pat Fryer, man, <laughs> he's, he's so cool. He's a, just a really awesome tight end. Basically, kind of won him that that overtime period in, mm-hmm. in multiple senses or on multiple drives was hugely, hugely impactful. I think that group's gonna raise up Trubisky and the quarterback play more than the quarterback play is gonna you know
0: maximize their capabilities. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Fryer with like. There's really only ever like five elite, you know, th- not not even five, really like three or four elite tight ends in the league. But as far as that, like second tier goes, he's probably already in there, even though he's a second year guy, like he, he really already feels like he's kind of in that tier. My biggest issue with the Steelers offense, besides Mitch Trubisky, just not being good, obviously, their drop back passing game is about as elementary as it gets. They get into two by two, and they run like, Ohio, which is just like the speed outs with the go balls on the side. Sometimes they'll run comebacks or they'll get into three by one and run stick. That's it. That's their whole drop back game. And it's like, cool. If you have a sophomore starting for you in high school, that's awesome. This is the NFL, man. <laughs> like, Let's go. Let's do something else. It seems like really all they had in their offensive bag was like, once every two drives, Canada had like some really cool one-off Reverse or flea flicker or whatever the hell, and those are cool. Those are great, but if that's the only way you're getting offense, this is not a serious offense at all. So hopefully that changes in, in future weeks. Maybe it won't. I don't really think Canada has shown us any reason to believe that that's going to change. um But we'll just let we'll let that one play out, and we'll kind of move on to our our next team here. Um, our next team was Kansas City, Arizona. Now I wrote about this one for film room, but I. Still want to put a couple of these clips up and still want to show them. I thought the way that they used Travis Kelsey was fantastic. Um, Just all throughout the game, they kind of used him all around the formation, um, whether it was as a blocker, moving him to shift around the formation and and get some tells from the defense. um, Or, of course, just get him wide the hell open. And I think they did that um, to open the second half, actually, their first play. Why I love this play is they got right into 13 personnel and they ran a lot of 13, 22, 21, all that jazz, way heavier than they were last year. The reason you want to get into 13 personnel and get under center like this, the defense has to come out in base. Like they're not going to put six DBs on the field. Like it's just not, you're going to get run all over. Um, And the Chiefs can absolutely run block if you're going to put that that light of bodies on the field. Um, And it's usually when you get into these, these base looks where you have base personnel, three linebackers on the field, probably just want to run simple coverages unless you have a ton of freaks. And I think we have both both seen the Arizona depth chart. They don't have very many of those. So they just kind of run like a simple cover three here. And the the Chiefs are going to try to get Kelsey running on the deep over route. And usually when that happens against cover three, you're going to have this weak hook linebacker try to robot, which is like turn and run back up the field, Try to get underneath the crosser and cut it off. The problem is the tight end running this route is the best in the league. And the quarterback throwing him the ball is the best quarterback in the league. And so you just get an explosive like that. All because Kansas City just got them into base personnel. Like that's as simple as it is. They got them into base and had their best player run a good route. That's that's how easy it is for them sometimes. He's some I
1: dude. <laughs> first off, I was really surprised just how much Kansas City was willing to use him as a blocker. And, and he was throwing some mean blocks. Not only like – He looked a little like, different this year. I'm, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not only serving as like lead blocker down the field on some, you know, bigger play helping out another receiver, but like really gritty run blocks. Like like either pulling stuff and hitting back end uh, or just, you know, really wearing d- guys down to set the edge. I was – genuinely really impressed with how willing Kansas City was to just throw him out there and be physical. It's not a role we've seen from Kelsey often in his career, and just the volume of it in that Arizona game was really surprising to me. But then you get plays
0: like that where he's like (laughs) one of the best receivers in the league. And, like, he he doesn't have to be Kittle. or Like, he doesn't have to be that. He just has to be where this is, like, a viable thing they can do on the ground, and it was. And then the fact that he could do that, they moved him, they were they were they they would put him in like a wing formation, like a Y off, and then they would move him around the formation. They would just do everything to make it seem like they were running to or away from him or, or whatever. But then they also went back to their bread and butter, the thing that won them the Super Bowl, which is putting Kelsey as the X. And they did this in the red zone. Really all throughout the game, they did this in the red zone where they tried to get Kelsey either where like on this clip, he's a little bit, he's in like a tight split. Sometimes they would put him on the nub, they would put him on the on the core. But really, no matter what they did, anytime they got into the red zone, there was at least one play where Kelsey was isolated on one side of the formation. This one I found particularly interesting because this was not the first time the Chiefs had been in the red zone. So obviously not the first time Arizona had seen them put Kelsey on the backside in the red zone. Arizona tried to get a little bit of a bracket on Kelsey here. Um, they're going to run like, you know, uh, Marco Wilson is going to play on top and outside, Um, he's going to back off here when when the play runs, but he's going to try to play outside and on top of Kelsey to not let anything get into that corner area um, of the end zone. And this safety here is playing kind of a bracket, but he's going to – he's basically checking if Kelsey is running either vertical or inside. And if he runs vertical or or inside, it's his job to drive down and help the corner take that away. The thing is, (laughs) Kelsey – is going to run the one route that ruins this. You see, this is right when Kelsey turns away. So the safety here thinks, oh, he's out. I don't have to cover this. The corner has this. I can turn back, try to help the linebacker take away this crosser. So the, the safety's really doing what he's supposed to do. The thing is, Kelsey is the only tight end in the league who can run the little whip route like that and just sprint into open space. I mean, the way that he can sink and get back into this space, like – the only thing that you could ask is like just have the cornerback play that better. Because I think that's just a really good beater by, by Reed to scheme up, a really good route from Kelsey, and a very unfortunate play for the safety because he did everything he was supposed to do and it just he got beat. <laughs> I want to remind people that
1: Travis Kelsey is six foot five and 250 pounds. He shouldn't be able to move like that. The no. level of separation he's able to create on that is nuts for a guy his side. And also it feels it feels broken and unbeatable, just in the sense that you know if the corner, you know, protect better is one thing, but if he then starts to, you know, overcommit to that and overshadow a bit, turn that into an option, right?
0: You go, you know, you go back outside, there's nothing you can do there. Exactly. Like he is the only other tight end that I think has that kind of movement skills is Pitts. That's it, it. It That is the list. It is Travis Kelsey and Kyle Pitts. And Pitts is and basically like, you know, wide receiver plus at this point. My yeah, opinion. exactly. Exactly. And he and Pitts doesn't have the benefit of Patrick freaking Mahomes <laughs> being <laughs> able to put the ball on him uh, in, in perfect scenarios all the time. So um, those are just the quick things I wanted to to hit on for the Kansas City game. I thought they just absolutely diced up um, Arizona and, you know, to cook hit on it. Credit to the Chargers for not. Uh, letting Patrick Mahomes do that for a lot of last game. You know, I know the Chiefs won, but I thought the Chargers did a good game plan. Helps when you have a guy like Derwin James who can actually play up on Kelsey instead of whatever the the, the Cardinals were trying to do with Isaiah Simmons <laughs> for a lot of this game. Um so so we can move on move on from that one. Um I also wanted to, I don't know if you got to catch any of the, the 49ers uh Bears game. Uh Kale, was there anything that you kind of Got away from that game before I before I preached the gospel of uh, Tala Hufanga. I, I'm excited to hear your sermon, but the <laughs> main
1: my my takeaway was more on the other side of the or you know the other side of the film that we're going to be talking about the Chicago mm-hmm. Bears. I'm I'm genuinely impressed with given the conditions of the game and given what the chicago bears have allotted to justin Fields. look
0: great looks it looks really solid he did man i i'm i'm trying not to get excited because i feel like i already have all of my eggs in the justin field's basket but like other than like the only issue to me was accuracy but like when the ball is wet like if, if neither quarterback looked particularly happy what are you gonna do but from like a he just by the by the after the first quarter he really settled in and looked like he was like he knew what he was doing. Yeah, it's it, it you know
1: I'm willing to chalk I I've kind of been putting off trying to you know really hammer uh Trey Lance for this game cuz you know he doesn't throw a really tight spiral so weather's going to just magnify that especially you know you you saw the pictures out of Chicago. You saw field sliding on his tummy like a penguin. Like <laughs> That field was a mess by the end of it. So I like I don't want to, you know, you know, pour too much praise on fields because, you know, it's a it's a bit of a watch game for everyone. One of those touchdowns was a completely broken coverage from San Francisco as well. So I don't want to, you know, completely refuse praise to him. But I mean, compared to what we saw last year, and maybe it's just, you know, Matt Nagy being out of the building, but like I'm genuine like that's a team I'm going to be watching on film now. That just
0: just to keep tabs. Just it, to was enough to keep, it was enough to be interested. And <laughs> exactly. that's really all we could hope for after last year. I mean, Jesus. Um, nowhere to go but up. Yeah, nowhere to go but up. Um, all right, I will get into my sermon. The first clip actually is not fully about Talano, Hufanga. It's really about how, you know, I know they had a couple of busts at the end. But for the most part, this 49ers secondary looked really good, not necessarily from just like an individual oh, they're beating up on everybody, but just the way they flow together as a unit, I think is really impressive. And on this, uh, on this clip, this might've been the first drive of the game, maybe the second drive of the game. Um, San Francisco is going to run cover six against um, the Bears, you know, trips, tray formation, whatever you want to call it. Um, they're going to run it quarter, quarter, half. So they're running quarters over to this strong side of the field. And then they're going to end up spinning to kind of a half to to cover this single man uh side of the field and what is super impressive to me i'm gonna have to replay it a a couple of times because every player the way they played it is truly incredible so i'll focus on the the bottom half here i think this is darnell mooney is going to run basically a post and he's going to try to get to the middle of the field that is a very hard route to cover as the half field safety here when this other safety is going to have to drive down you're basically one-on-one in the middle of the field but I think the safety here actually does a really good job of staying on top, making sure he's leveraging this route correctly to dissuade Fields from throwing it early. I think Fields doesn't want to throw it because he knows this guy just has too much depth. It's basically just going to be a jump ball at that point. doesn't want to throw it. Focusing on the other side of the coverage, Talanoa Hufanga immediately knows that this crossing route is coming, drives on it, cuts it off. Like Cuts it off, not like gets behind it and he's chasing it. Cuts it off entirely. It's gone. At the same time, Fred Warner pops off the line of scrimmage. Does a really good job here, actually, I think, running tight to this crosser. So he, like, kind of gets to dictate the depth of, of, you know, at which this guy is going to come across the field. Knows exactly because this crossing route is coming. A common thing to run outside of that crossing route is a dig right behind it. Sinks right into the dig window. I mean... This is what it looks like to play coverage on a string, and they did that for a lot of this game. Even though they had the couple of busts at the end,
1: it's it's really good to see just such a cohesive secondary this early, yep. especially in a chaotic game like this. Mm-hmm. It, I will say you're not the only one to uh, be singing the phrases uh, praises of uh, of the uh, you know the good the good word of Hufanga. Uh, I I believe Brian Baldinger had – Baldy may have comped him or said that there is uh, shades of Troy Palamala
0: in his game, which is – Listen, man, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I tweeted this, and you'll see it on the next clip. I swear, if you just tweeted every other clip of the Niners' defense, Kufanga is making a play on 75% of them. It's bonkers how well he played. Um, and I think this next clip I'm going to show is, was kind of a good example. This is, so Hufanga, I will say is a guy that you want rolled down to the box as often as possible. You want him moving forward. You do not want him playing like a split field half. You don't want him center fielding. Probably don't want him in that much man coverage. You want him playing in like quarter stuff, or you want to roll him down to the box and just let him go because he is really good at that. (laughs) And so they have, uh, they have him rolled down here to the strong side here, um, They're pretty commonly rolled him down to the strong side in this game. And he is going to immediately click and close on this pitch. He's not going to let the receiver cut block him here. And he's going to go make the tackle two, three yards in the backfield. I mean, the way that he understands and feels that this block is coming and doesn't widen himself out with the pitch, because, you know, I think your reaction is when you see a pitch from this position, well, shoot, if the ball's going outside, I got to go outside. But he does not panic. He knows he has to get inside the block. Still gets to the ball carrier. I mean, that kind of click and close ability, the athleticism, the like just he did that every other play, I swear. And I I could sit here and post 10 clips. I won't um, because we don't have that much time. But I swear that I could. (laughs) The ability to not only just have the frame to take that
1: block and shug it off, plus just shooting out of a cannon, that is – rare athleticism and and, and just being able to, you know, see both sides of it. The men, like the mental recognition of this entire secondary working cohesively. I think the marriage of these two clips shows just how dangerous not only he is,
0: but just this whole 49ers defense. And I, I really should have grabbed this clip because it would have been nice. There was another clip that Hufanga had where they had him rolled down like this, but because of the way that the Bears kind of like shifted their formation it changed the passing strength. And Hufanga had to bump from like kind of being in the apex there where he was like kind of in between the receiver and the formation. They had to bump him over into the A gap as a linebacker. And he made the play in the gap. I was like, what are you doing? You're You're a safety, but you're just playing perfectly like a linebacker. And I am the number one like stop putting safeties at linebacker guy, but that guy that is a linebacker who can play safety. That dude is a little bit different than everybody else. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, 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 had to go on there and, and praise the gospel of uh, one of my I'll new favorite players. Tal- no, what One at a time. I, I think I'm going to get, get everybody. Um, moving on to um, a a less inspiring performance in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, the new England Patriots offense, um, now, this is a game I did not actually get to catch much of, so I'm going to let you take the reins here. What did you see from New England's offense and and really how the Miami defense kind of handled them and shut them down? Derek, it's what I
1: didn't see
0: that has been, <laughs> that has been the issue here. Uh,
1: I want people to know, New England ran two, count them, two play-action plays in this game. Uh, what's, what's great for me is my job's pretty easy this week. Because with all the uh, with all the nebulous roles in this uh, New England's coaching staff, I get to blame Matt Patricia for everything bad that happened. Because not only is he the play caller, he's the offensive line guy. And those are the two biggest problems I had with this New England Patriots team. First off, I want to show you Mac Jones' throw chart quick. Be- Ooh, I don't mean to zoom like that. But if you're noticing some gaps here, there's just nothing to the middle of the field everything is just a lot of stuff within five yards a lot of stuff outside the hashes really missing a lot of crucial over the middle stuff and when you look at what Miami's running first off let's get to let's get to the strip sack first I'm kind of getting all over the place because there's there's a lot New England didn't do well in this game uh, so I'm kind of getting all over the place here. But let's let's first start with the offensive line. Because I was pretty mortified by the amount of just missed assignments in this game. If you look on the strip sack, we'll just watch it happen quick. They completely unblocked uh, pass rusher there. If we go to the end zone view and we look at what the offensive line is actually doing, when we get to the actual rush... The, oh, I'm skipping around a little bit, sorry. My film's a little choppy, so I'm just trying to get it. Okay, here's, here's a good example. Hunter Henry's going on a wrap. He is not involved in the blocking scheme at all, and that should be communicated to the rest of this offensive line. There's not too much going on schematically here that would throw a wrench outside of the blitzing corner. So David Andrews has his assignment. Trent Brown, the left tackle, should always be looking outside here, looking for the last possible thing and then work in. James Ferenc, this is James Ferenc's assignment, especially when you watch the play and see how hard inside he breaks. That should be James Frentz's assignment. That's the pass off. Even with the twist at the end between the D tackle and the defensive end, should be relatively contained. When you actually look at you know, what's going on downfield, the there's enough to get this off in time. I mean, Trent Brown just completely misses the guy. He's got That's not even
0: here. a tough one either. That is just a—they are half sliding to that side of the field. That's it's it. Pretty tough. <laughs> like it's not like a tricky, <laughs> like pass protection thing. Uh, nobody else is involved. It's a five-man. Like that is bizarre to to yeah. to have that kind of miss very early on. Born from another Boston coach, Rick Pitino. Dante Scarnecchi is not walking through that door. This is
1: now Matt <laughs> Patricia's role. And Trent Trent Brown is a, is a veteran in this. He is, you know, he's played forward. I think four or five years with new England at this point, like he, this, these aren't mistakes that he should be making. And, And there's some more issues with it that have, you know, they, they have some false start stuff. They have some like really uncharacteristic un new England penalties that they had. So there was just a lot going on there, but, I brought up the – inter back to this kind of mess of a itinerary of things that went wrong for New England here. The intermediate passing, given what Miami was showing them for a lot of the game, the fact that there are only two, three pass attempts of over 10 yards over the middle of the field is shocking to me. This is a third and seven. Miami pulls out a bit of a bell check. It goes, check rain. Basically, zero blitz. Everyone out at the bottom of the field. They've got, by the end of it, they do drop two of the rushers, but they eventually have seven guys going in. And this isn't actually a big blocking assignment issue to me because if you look at this, no matter what, my, like Mac is doing a good job trying to check things in. Tom Montgomery protects inside to out on this. Oop, got a little buffer here. Tom Montgomery protects inside to out on this, which I don't have you know too big an issue with. No matter what, in this case, you're going to have an unblocked man here. You're going to be hot no matter what. Yeah, it's just a numbers game at that point. They do pick up the roughing the passer, which saves New England a lot there. But, you know, the fact that that's the look that they're being shown is eight guys pressed up at the line. And you don't have any kind of check for something over the middle. And you're getting up to these, like, big – you're throwing a big heave to Johnny Smith 20 yards down the field. That's not the play calling you need. And I think if they have literally anyone else running an offense or calling plays here, that's a check that they implement. That's something that's easy for them to see. And Matt Jones is a pretty cerebral guy. Like, that was his one calling card out of college's IQ. You're putting a lot of responsibility on him. You still need a guy in the building to just be able to, like, you know, I get the – hypothetically, I get the benefits of a defensive guy, you know, doing the play calling stuff and seeing it from that perspective. But you've just got to have, you know, those reps. Also, speaking of guys or things I did not see in this game, (laughs) I just want to pull up uh, the one play I have called Kendrick Bourne sighting. Ooh, I record these on my iPad, so forgive me. The Kendrick Bourne finished, last year he finished uh, number one DVOA in both receiving and rushing as a receiver. Led all receivers in both categories. This was his only catch of the game, and he finished second among New England receivers in total passing yards. He played three snaps, only two of them on offense. And this is this is maybe the best throw Mac had all game. Like good cover two hole shot, forty yard gain. It's his biggest pass of the day. None of it yak. It's all just hitting Kendrick Bourne in stride. That's also not a ball we've seen. We didn't really see that from Mac at all last year. No, which is not at all. like Jones had the fifth quickest time to throw according to uh, Next Gen stats. There's a litany of problems I have with this. The two, by the way, I forgot to mention this. The two play action plays they ran uh, both went for over ten yards. Both went for first downs. Like you, you, I get so frustrated by stuff like this because you see the things that New England has success with. You see new things that New England can do that they can't do last year. And you have the washout defensive coordinator who formerly worked at D-line that is now coaching offensive line that is having blocking issues, assignment issues, discipline issues. And you're running an offense that is not adapting to the defensive opportunity or the opportunities that the defense is showing you. I, I hope we see something better in week two, but they're going against a, albeit T.J. Wattless Steelers front seven that just made the reigning AFC champions
0: uh, look like they had no idea what they were doing out there. The, <clears throat> the Bourne not getting snaps thing and the play action thing are both so bizarre. Like the play action thing, play action is good, but I'm also not the person that's like, every team has to run 35% play action, blah, blah, blah. But two? Two two in a game that was like not like run away like the it wasn't like a 40 point game and a half or anything like they could have stayed with their ground game and gotten into more of the play action stuff and they were just like ah and then with bourne like i think no matter how you dice it bourne is at worst their third best patch pass catcher to me like you have jacoby myers who i think can do stuff um hunter henry can do stuff Kendrick Bourne is as good as those two, (laughs) and he's not worse than anybody else. So I don't understand how he's getting two snaps in a game. Two targets maybe petty stuff happens, but yeah. It's just just like Patriot pettiness.
1: Uh, Like there's some sort of internal Jonas Gray-esque thing that's going on here (laughs) that I just don't understand because he is not only probably one of your best weapons, but easily your most versatile, and you're just playing Mm -hmm. him two snaps on the offense
0: listen, Matt Patricia's legacy in Detroit was shunning and eventually getting Darius Slay traded. So it's not very surprising he is again shunning one of his best players that he that he has to work with. Um, I think we were all hoping that we would be wrong about Matt Patricia and that the Patriots offense would be like watchable. It does not appear that it's going to be watchable. Granted, the, the Miami defense is good. They did some cool stuff that, that you showed, but like, Steelers are going to do some cool stuff. They're pretty good. Um, You play in the AFC East. There's a lot of good defense in the AFC East. Like, this is not going to get easy. And The Jets defense didn't look bad either. Like, this is not going to be easy. Dude,
1: this, uh, you know, one of the big things for New England last year was just the variance. You know, one of the highest variance teams in the league. Their range of outcomes this year has a similar level of variance because there's a world where, like, they have all the pieces where this all kind of works out. Uh, they can really bottom out. Like if, if, <laughs> if, if we get 16 more games of this, they can, they might be flirting with picking another, you know, a, a top 10 pick for the first time. And I don't know how long.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm hundred percent with you. And until we see it, I'm, gonna yeah, have a prove hard time me wrong that's yeah, all prove, i want prove us wrong there's not a whole lot of reason to give uh matt patricia benefit of the doubt um well that is going to do us do it for us here um week two of the firm room show um i hope everyone enjoyed it you know this was the first time we were able to actually watch some films so i hope uh everyone enjoyed it that it went smoothly and uh, kale i'm uh, excited to do this again next week hopefully we have uh <laughs> maybe a better showing for matt patricia Give me anything. One way or
1: the other, we will be showing either some good adaptation or just a,
0: a, 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 you know, a Saw-esque film. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everyone. That was the show. Have a good one, everybody.